Ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Liftoff on Apollo 11. Tower cleared. For Space 3D, this is Eleanor O'Rangers. In this podcast, Tom Hill and I continue our discussion with self-described recovering aerospace engineer Rand Simberg in part two of our interview with him. So I, I have a question if I could if I could interject. Absolutely. So in, in listening to your premise, Rand, it seems and I, I do tend to agree that, you know, they what's standing in the way always is going to be politics and money with NASA. And I don't think because, as you say, it's a jobs, quote unquote, jobs program. So there is some congressional investment from that perspective. I don't think we can just say, let's get rid of NASA. Maybe the conversation, if you will, regarding risk really needs to take place with the commercial sector. Um, Have there been any overtures uh, on that side of the fence? I mean, that clearly seems to where the where the future, you know, is going. And I'm, I'm just curious about your, your perspectives on that. Well, that's, you know, that was all, again, this goes back to uh, why I wrote the book, because we had just, not just, but a few years previous, in 2004, we'd passed the, you know, because we thought all of a sudden the, we were going to be blackening the skies with suborbital rockets, right, after after the X Prize. So we actually got an amendment to the Commercial Space Launch Act in 2004 that actually, you know, said, okay, we we know how to regulate satellite launchers, commercial satellite launchers, and uh, and office commercial space transportation been doing that since, you know, the mid 80s. Uh, but we don't have any way to deal with regulating human space flight, and we don't even, you know, one of the things we did was actually come up with a definition for suborbital space flight. But but we came up with a uh, a regulatory regime that was informed, basically informed consent. And, and so here's something people don't understand is that, you know, while the FAA aviation side, they're, they used to have a dual role of promoting the industry while also, you know, uh, trying to ensure safety. Uh, they lost that role about 20 years ago after the value jet crash in the Everglades. And then they were, so they're no longer even allowed to promote. They're, they're completely focused on safety and passenger safety. And then their job is to make sure that when somebody gets on an airplane, on a, if they buy a commercial ticket on a commercial flight, that uh, they have a reasonable you know, likelihood that they will get off at the other end. Okay, space does not have that. Uh, the Office of Commercial Space Transportation, which we now call FAAST, because after it got folded into FAA, which should never have happened 25 years ago or whenever that was, they do not have any responsibility for mission assurance. That is, uh, officially, they do not care whether a satellite gets into orbit or not. That's not their job. Their only job is to make sure that the rocket doesn't fall on, on somebody's head who's not involved in the launch. Okay, so that philosophy currently extends as well to human spaceflight. Anybody who rides a rocket, private rocket, you know, hands, so hands over money to Virgin or whoever, the, all, all, the only assurance they have is it's not assurance. It's they're informed of here's, here's our system, here's how we've done to test it, here's all the ways it can kill you on a bad day, 
you decide whether you want to fly or not. So, so we have been in, and and the point I'm uh, one of the many points I make in the books is that we cannot regulate, we cannot be prescriptive in how to achieve safety in space, because we're in the terms of understanding how you know the best ways of doing things in space were like in the 1920s in aviation, you know when people hadn't even figured out how many wings an airplane should have. Right. Right. Or whether the, should the should the empanage should the control surfaces be in the front of the airplane or the rear of the airplane? There are all kinds of people who are trying all kinds of stuff to see what works best, and we're at that stage in space. You know, we had Blue Origin. You know, their suborbital vehicle takes off vertically, lands vertically. Uh, Virgin Galactic's takes off horizontally, lands horizontally, and it's air launched. So you know, it's not the FAA's business right now, or OCSTs to say, well, they've got the best way because nobody has, even has an experience. You know, we haven't, Virgin VG has not even been to space yet. And in terms of the international definition, it's a good chance they won't be because they don't have, poorly don't have performance. So they've kind of redefined space to the Air Force definition, which is 50 miles instead of 100 yeah. kilometers. But the point is, but the point is there is no one size fits all for space safety. It depends on, well, on the mission. If, you know, if you're doing kids science fair experiments, yeah, that's probably a dumb reason to get killed. Uh, if you're trying to intercept an asteroid that's about to hit the Earth, then maybe you send out an armada, you know, and you expect to lose half of them. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, just a side point about um, the FAA um, several years ago now. God, this was sort of right after, I guess, the initial enthusiasm with Virgin Galactic had come out with guidelines regarding um, human safety, and they have not really updated any of that. And there was a brief statement a couple of years ago that, you know, we're, we, we wanted to leave them somewhat open until such time that people are flying, which I found interesting that they, they sort of wanted to allow a bit of a permissive environment for during the developmental stage, but, you know... <laughs> How is the hammer going to come down from a safety regulatory standpoint once people start flying? I mean, that was kind of the implication. Well, un, un, under the current uh, regime, we are still in what we're calling a learning period uh, where there's a moratorium on new regulations. And I forget how long we extended it the last time we did it. I should know that, but I don't. Um, but it, keep, it keeps on getting extended because we keep on not flying and not getting not learning. And and I believe you know for if I were you asked me if I were king or God uh, I would I would make it indefinite I would not put a time to, uh, stop having to you know extend it just say we are not going to regulate this until it's there's something happens and that and by the way if something bad ha- if it becomes clear that there's something a problem that needs to be regulated FAA can step in and say and come up with a rule. Okay, so they do have they they could have done that sort of maybe um, after the uh, after the Virgin accident where they lost the the co-pilot and injured the pilot. Uh, But but so but they didn't. But but if you know, if it's like they can if they can make a case that there's something going on here and, you know, if like if, if people are being killed willy nilly, obviously, you know, then they would step in. But we're not even flying. So it's crazy to worry about. Uh, you know how many people are we killing in space? We're not. No, we're not even sending people into space yet. I hope maybe Blue Origin will be doing it next year. Last year they said it would be this year, and clearly it's not going to be this year. 
Well, unless they surprise them. Yeah, they I don't they have, give a lot of lead in when they're doing a test. Yeah, I mean they have a, they have a month or so less, but they but last year they said they were going to be flying test passengers. Yeah, that is Blue Origin employees are going to going to ride because this you know and again there's all kinds of different approaches. Should it have a pilot? Should it be automatic? Nobody knows. And Virgin is piloted. Uh, Blue Origin is is completely automated. Have you noticed and, any uh, any difference? in the approach between Blue Origin, since they're not on a NASA contract, and SpaceX and Boeing, since they are? Again, I don't know enough about what Blue Origin is doing to say. Yeah, they're tight-lipped, but I, that just uh, that but, question but, just occurred to me. Well, I, I would, obviously, Boeing and SpaceX are spending a lot more money than Blue Origin is <laughs> on, on, on some stuff. But, you know, it's... Uh, it's it's bad business to kill your customers. So so Blue Origin does not want to fly until you know they feel like they have something they can confidently say we think this is you know fairly safe to fly on. Particularly, you don't want to kill rich people. Yes, they have very good lawyers. And unhappy families with good lawyers and a lot of money. Yeah, I was saying even if they're willing to take the risk. I mean, I always think back to with that crazy Mars One idea. I saw a couple of articles where people were. Married couples, one one half is like, I'm fine with going to Mars and never returning. Sure, I'll leave my family, no problem. So there's, like you were saying, Rand, there's never a shortage of, there's no shortage of astronauts or people willing to take that risk. Yeah, and, and another point I make is that we, there's all kinds of other sports that we allow. You know, like the diving industry is completely self-regulated. There's no government agency, you know, it's, you know, it's, yeah, Patty and the, and the Y. That certified divers, and you have, and the free diving, which a lot of people kill themselves doing. That's not regulated, and and you know the the least safe way to get to twenty nine thousand feet is to walk there on Everest. But but people do that, and some of them die, and they and part of the part of the experience is walking past all the people who died because they they don't bring them down, they don't get buried, they're preserved. You know, at that high altitude, so you get to you get to walk past all the people who didn't make it, who spent you know hundreds of thousands of dollars, you know, to go up there and die. Now, now most of the people who die on Everest these days are the Sherpas, but yeah, you're you're still taking a chance, and no government thinks that should be regulated. Oh, here's another example. You know, one of the sports might be, and this is what Armadillo was looking at for for they went, you know, John Carmack went on to do other things was they wanted to be an elevator to space where you, you go up to a hundred kilometers and then you could jump out in a spacesuit and skydive down orbital skydiving orbital skydiving well it wouldn't even be orbital it'd right. just be from space this is just suborbital. it's just basically you go up a uh, hundred kilometers you're in space and then then you jump and then the air of the rocket comes down you break the sound and, barrier and you break yeah and it's, it's like what felix said and what uh what's his name bum gardener did Baumgartner did more recently and okay so that's kind of a risky thing to do okay so why would it be the business of the government to make sure that they don't die on the way up valid point valid point one thing uh that's kind that's sort of peripherally related to this as far as like flight rates one of the things that i'm impressed with is that blue origin has decided to manufacture their spacecraft, their spacecraft, and their boosters in Florida, so you don't have to ship it across the country or put it on a barge or anything like that. That's a good sign for business for rate. Well, it it is, and but it's also a sign that they're not 
it always cracks me up. I, I, I laugh so I don't cry. Actually, when you you see, you see uh, you're you know, one of these, you're recovering. That's okay. One of these uh, charts, you know, on a government program that shows all the how every state has a part of this. Yeah. You know, and I'm sure SLS, they have one for SLS, have one for every, you know, because you want to show it. That's that's a Congress chart. You're showing Congress. Hey, if this benefits every single district, it benefits every single state. You want to keep funding this. OK, well, fine. But that makes it a lot more expensive when you have to, from a logistic standpoint, to bring in all this stuff from all these other states. You know, we have to they're you know, they're not pouring the solids SRBs at the Cape. You know, they're they're pouring them in Utah and then they have to ship it all the way across the country. And they've been doing that ever since, you know, Fletcher was administrator the first time, yep. which is probably one of, one of the reasons they picked, you know, they picked the SRBs was because Thiokol was, was a Utah and, and Th- Fletcher was from Utah, but for people who don't realize that. Um, and he was, he was administrator twice. Yeah. That and, sort of thing then adds to the difficulty in increasing rate it, 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 it yeah it adds to the difficulty increasing rate it adds to cost it adds to it increases oh you have all these travel costs you have all these coordination costs uh it, it probably reduces your probably you know increases your probability something's going to go wrong because you, if you don't get the interface document exact you know right no it makes it just makes a lot of sense to try to do everything in one place you know and that's what you know elon has this factory down the street from me uh in hawthorne where you know you, you Metal goes in and rockets come out because he's almost completely vertically integrated. And he's doing the same thing down at the port where he's building, I guess it's today or yesterday, it became Starship instead of BFR. Yeah, BFR and then, had that, that slight PR problem. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not sure it was a bug or a feature, but... Uh, uh, and then, and then they're they're going to ship that thing somehow. I don't know how they're going to ferry it over. Maybe it'll self ferry. Who knows? Probably not. I don't think they're going to take it off. I, I doubt he's going to try and take it off in Long Beach Harbor. Um, but somehow they're going to get that Boca Chica next year, so they can start doing hops with it. That'll but, be interesting. But, but but they're not. And and you know, for political reasons, both Blue and SpaceX have open facilities in Alabama. Ah, right. That's important. Yeah, I hadn't heard. And about they would. That. Well, that was, that's been the case for a couple a couple of years ago, I think. Hmm. But uh, you know, it, because you have to kiss Shelby's ring if you if you're if you're going to want NASA contracts. Now, and Blue Origin probably wants NASA contracts to take people to the moon. You know, so they're all they're spending a little bit of money. You know, kind of throwing throwing the Alabama delegation a bone. And, and they're they're putting some people there, but basically they understand that you know scattering your operations over every state and district, congressional district is not a cost-effective way of doing things. One other thing uh, I haven't told you, Rand, I I toured SpaceX a couple years ago, and I was with somebody from NASA headquarters, and it was so funny to see the person who basically had this Jekyll and Hyde thing going, saying going back and forth from they're screwing everything up. They're just, you know, redoing it. And then he'd say, well, wait a minute. That's how we learned back in the day. And he'd just go back and forth. Like the needle was just pinging back and forth each each way. And it's like, which yeah. way is it? Yeah, well, there's actually there was an interesting story from uh, the first dragon uh, birthing at station. Kirsten Meyer, and I'm not sure who else was in the room, but 
but they actually they were impressed about how about by how SpaceX reacted. You know, when they had the problems with the reflect retro the reflectors and uh, and having trouble with the sensors, and they weren't weren't seeing things, and they went back and they. I think NASA, you know, you have to be impressed with how agile. I think that's that's the buzzword, right? These yes, days. agility. How, ag- how 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 agile SpaceX was in responding to issues. You know, when they when they trimmed off the uh, the bottom of the nozzle. <laughs> right, the bottom of it. The, they had a tear in it or something, right? So they yeah, just, yeah. they just t- went in with a pair of tin they snips just, and cut it off. Yeah, we'll just, yeah, we'll just lose a little performance. It's not the part where the the the, the fuel runs through for regenerative cooling. And uh, and they flew just flew somebody out there who was a scared afraid of heights apparently, but they sent him out there to to uh, deal with it. And uh, you know, so so they were you know, but NASA has been trying to help, and and you know, Elon is always effusive, you know, partly for political reasons, obviously, about how much help he's been getting from NASA. Right. And of course, sometimes it's help, you know, in, in quote marks. Like now they're going to help Elon by, you know, making sure that since he's a, a doper, uh, you know, they have to, have to do another safety review, yet another safety review because they haven't been doing any safety reviews up, up yeah, until now. Yeah, right? this just came up as an idea when they saw the, yeah. the scene. Yeah, maybe, maybe we should do a safety review, even though it, the reason we're not haven't been flying years ago is because it's been like one nonstop safety review since they, you know, issued the first, you know, crew contracts. And 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 that gets my other bugaboo, which is human rating, which is a completely nonsense term, right. and it right. does it doesn't mean it means whatever NASA wants it to mean at any for whatever politically convenient reasons. Even yes, there's a document at JSC, and I forget, I'm not don't have don't have the number memorized of it, but but you know, NASA has never built a vehicle that met that rating. Right, you know, they, shuttle was they shuttle was never human rated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the shuttle had wave flew with waivers every single flight because it had to. And 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 SpaceX was actually diligent. They tried to build from the beginning. They claim I don't disbelieve them. You know, they they read that document. And they tried to build Dragon to meet it right from the very beginning, even before they had a NASA contract, because they 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 figured, well, NASA's come up with this stuff. It must be good, and we want to put up humans in our Dragon capsule. So let's let's try to do that. And but then they, but it's then they really found out the truth. Yeah, but it you know it's just and usually you know nine out of ten times more than that probably ninety nine out of hundred times anybody uses the phrase human rating. A they don't know what it means and they're just trying to sound like they know what they're talking about when they don't. And anything that NASA directly contracted is going to be more likely to get a waiver than something they didn't. Right. Unless it's Russia. On, on the other hand, the good the good news is, and with, again, this is what I was trying to avoid with the book. Uh, NASA doesn't have any say over what people do that's not a NASA contract, right? Commercial commercial can do its own thing. Uh, the only the only regulatory authority for commercial space flight is the Office of Commercial Space Transportation. And right, they and they're just worried about the rocket dropping on people's heads. Right. Yeah. So again, they they have no currently have no mission assurance responsibilities. So I know it's so, not your uh, specific area, but as we move into getting people into space, perhaps you know closer and closer to everyday citizens, 
What safety issues do you see there when they're actually in space? Well, there's lots of ways to die in space. Well, maybe <laughs> on to that, do you think that there, you know, you know, there's been talk within the commercial sector of, you know, essentially everybody should be able to fly, you know, with very little limitation. But is that the wisest thing for for a successful mission or, yeah, just anyone who wants to sign up, they have the money, just, you know, let it, you know, let them go. Well, it's the industry is going to have to shake that stuff out. But again, there is no one size fits all safety uh, requirement there as there is as there is for the airlines. Right. You know, airlines can compete on uh, price. They can compete on seat pitch. They can compete on how Light pretty room. the flight attendants are. Uh, they cannot compete on safety. You know, you're not allowed to say, yeah, well, we're cheaper, but, you know, yeah, we don't, you you might not get off on the other side, but we're a lot cheaper. You know, airlines are not allowed to do that. Space lines right now have to be allowed to do that because there are some people going to have different reasons for going to space. Some people actually get off on on danger. You know, they like the adrenaline rush of taking risks. Other people are going to say, this is, you know, it's going to cost us $50 million if I don't get somebody up there and fix this satellite, or I just want to see the earth from space. And I want to do it safely. And there's going to, those are different market segments. Uh, again, it's the difference between, you know, am I doing science fair experiments or am I saving the earth from an asteroid? There are two completely different, you know, safety criteria for those two different missions. And I hate the word mission, by the way, I hate the word mission. I hate the, I hate the phrase space exploration and I hate the word mission. Uh, because because it, it evokes all all of this bad thought, you know that I've been talking about this all all these false uh, narratives about about Apollo and about space and about what our, our purpose of going into space and you know uh, I, I hate space exploration as as uh, I'm not opposed to exploring space but I'm opposed to it as what we're doing in space when we send people because almost nothing we've done in the last 40 years has had anything to do with space exploration. And, and I, I'd like to talk about space development and space explorations as, as a means, not an end. Yep. Once again, a different way of thinking about things than probably a lot of our listeners have heard. But, but you have to think about it that way in, in order to get your hands around the safety issue. Have you had one-off conversations even with people at NASA that, you know, off the record, they will agree with you or argue. I mean, I'm curious about yes. that. Uh, uh, yes, I have had conversations off the record with people in NASA, and they say, we wish we could talk about this, but we can't. Practically through congressional mandate, you're not allowed to. Right. You're not allowed to talk about it. You're not allowed to. I, I'm speaking heresy for most of you know the time we've been talking. I, I am being heretical. And, and as I say, I, I hoped and and... I'm kind of depressed about the election uh, because whatever else you think about Dana Rohrabacher, he was one of the few people that had his head on straight on this stuff because he, he actually blurred my book. And uh, he, he would have been head of the science committee if he'd a, kept a seat and B, the Republicans had kept the House. So now I still I have no hope, you know, that there's going to be any more intelligent conversations on the hills about, hill about this in the near future. Yeah, that was my other question of whether you've talked to oh. people in Congress, you know, regarding this and, you know, have, are any, are there any rational heads up there that would be willing to open that conversation? Uh, not that I'm the only one 
I was aware of at the time, well, there were two. One was Dana, and the other was Jim Bridenstine, who's no longer in Congress. And now he has to, he has to, you know, kiss Shelby's ring and, and bow to the, uh, to the shibboleths, the as he did yesterday. Was it yesterday or I think it was yesterday when when Steve Jersick, you know, accidentally spoke the truth and said, you know, we'll probably retire SLS if both of the origin. And, and, uh, yes, that tweet and, came and out rather quickly, didn't it? Yes, it did. To, to correct yes. the record. Right. Ugh. Uh, our listeners may be interested to hear how your book developed. Just give us a quick, uh, quick summation on that. I, I found it interesting, at least. Well, it, it, it started, as I say, I'd been worried about this stuff since uh, I, I could see the things coming down the road in terms of, you know, how, how is commercial human spaceflight going to be regulated? I think it was 2011, probably, that the space access meeting, which is going starting up again this next year um it's going to be except instead of phoenix uh, for people who've ever never been to the space access society a highly uh a space access conference uh it was henry vanderbilt held it in phoenix every year for oh literally yeah yeah decades. I this now yeah that's right i think yeah so and 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 henry got kind of burned out uh you know justifiably a couple of years ago uh, but but it's being resurrected by Mike Wallace up in this is kind of an aside, but by up in the Bay Area in April, and with Henry's you know concurrence and help. Uh, but anyway, so I, I was we were I think it was like toward the end of the conference, and I was on a panel. We were talking about what are the big issues coming up, and I said I think the big issue is going to be will safety will NASA's safety mentality bleed over into regulations for commercial spaceflight. And, and, and then I said, I, and I plan to actually address that, start to do something about that. Cause I'm very worried about it. And I, so I started a Kickstarter, uh, as a result and raised, I don't remember how much, uh, it's a few thousand, I think like 7,000, a few thousand, yeah. a few thousand bucks, something like that, a few, several, 7,000 bucks. And I didn't know, you know, I didn't, wasn't sure exactly what I was going to do with the money. <laughs> I, you know, I just, I just said, look, this is a, this is a problem. And if you give me money, I'll try to think about how to solve it. So I, uh, so I, I raised the money. You know, I hit my goal. I said, "Oh my God, now I have to do something." And uh, and so I, I started with a rant. You know, I just, I just wrote a rant. A blog post, my, basically, a long a, blog post. A, a very long, very long blog post. <laughs> and then, so I, so I call, I, so I call the book my accidental book, because so it's, it started as a rant, and then it evolved into a screed. And uh, and at some point, I had to go back to my donors and say, "Okay, well, I've I've got this screed, which probably if I put some more work into it, could become a book." So I did another round of funding for it, and uh, and and people. So instead of just getting the the screed, which is the thing, main thing I was offering most of the donors, uh, they would actually get a book. So that it was two Kickstarters basically, and then and then over the course of a couple of years, it took me to I think to actually get the book out. Um, that's how it happened. We hope you enjoyed part two of our interview with aerospace engineer Rand Simberg. Join us for the conclusion of our interview on our next podcast. On behalf of Tom Hill and Emily Carney, this is Eleanor Rangers for Space 3D.